Welcome to the Catch the Fire Church podcast. We're so glad you're joining us, and we hope you're encouraged by this message. I am a huge believer in the power of the testimony. Anyone else? And the reason why we make space and we make time for things like this is because it increases our faith. (laughs) And faith is contagious. And faith is... Faith in a room, when we're all gathered together as believers, it's palpable. And I want you guys, as you leave this place, to continue to believe God for the breakthrough that you need, the healing that you need, that there doesn't have to be someone there physically laying hands on you, but the Holy Spirit is with you always. He's in you. He's on you. He's among you. And I just feel so stirred that God is after this next generation. He's after the Gen Zs. He's after the Gen Alpha. And we, in a couple weeks, we're actually going to be having a whole service called Gen Z for Jesus. And our Gen Z um, students and friends are going to be sharing with us. And we want to invite you to um, invite your friends. If you have grandchildren, invite them. If you have a neighbor, invite them um, August 13th to this um, this service because it's going to be incredible. All righty? So today... Um, I'm going to be sharing on something that I feel like God is, you know, he's doing this in my heart too. As I was preaching in the first service, I was feeling like this is a challenge for each and every one of us as believers. This is a challenge for myself. Um, and as even Aaron was singing the song Cornerstone this morning, I feel like God is setting up for what I was preaching on, which is anchored in his nature. And, uh, <laughs> The Lord is doing something inside each of and every one of us that is making us aware of our need for him. He's making us aware of his nature that we would put confidence in him and who he is. So when I had my first, uh, my first baby, Jude, we took him home from the hospital six and a half years ago, and there he is in our house, just a helpless little baby. You know, you leave as a first-time parent, like, are we, are we old enough to do this? Definitely not. Um, are we, like, capable enough? You do, you, like, I read baby books in preparation. We did a birthing class. We did everything. But nothing is quite as shocking and jarring as when you come home from the hospital and you're there with your baby, and you're like, Oh my gosh, what have we done? What are we going to do? This baby is laying there in their crib, helpless, okay? Helpless. Jude can do nothing to tell me what he needs other than crying. And there are some parents who are like, I know what every cry means. I'm like, I don't know a thing. Like, I don't know if they're dirty, like their diaper's dirty, if they're hungry, if what they're tired. Like, you know, you slowly start to learn your baby. But in the beginning, it was just like, this baby is there helpless, And we're guessing what they, what he needs as he's crying. This is the only way he can can communicate to us. But never once did I think I'm not going to give him all of my resources. When I looked at my baby, I was like, you have done nothing for me. You have said nothing to me, but yet I love you. And I want to give you all of the milk that your belly needs. And I want to change your diaper every time you need it. And I want to give you all of my resources because my provision for my son is, is not locked up in his perfect request for me. It's behind my heart for him. And it's the same thing with the Lord. As I was preparing this message is oftentimes we think that, um, 
if we say the right prayers, if we say the right thing, if we contend to heaven and intercede for what we need, then God will hear us and God will answer. Yes, he does. But also, his care is for us is so far beyond our, our ability to ask for it. His love in his heart for us to share with us his resources, to share with us all of his favor and all of his blessings is not contingent upon our perfect request for it. It is who he is. It's his nature. It's not we pray this perfect prayer and then think, yes, I nailed it. Now God is going to pour out everything in it. It's the difference between confidence in what, we are, what we've said in our statements, what we've prayed versus our confidence in his nature in who he is. And somewhere along the way, our faith has maybe turned into, faith can look like what we believe rather than the person who we trust. And today, as I was preparing, kind of piggybacking off of what Aaron shared last week, it's, we don't have faith because we have the answers to what we're going through. Therefore, we have understanding. I think we've flip-flopped Hebrews, where in Hebrews 11, it says, by faith, we understand. But it's not that. It's not, or it, sorry, it is that. It's not we have understanding, therefore we have faith. It's by faith we understand, not I have understanding, therefore I have faith. Do you see the difference there? We've turned faith into this intellectual assent and cognitive reasoning that actually hinders us from being anchored in, in who he is and his nature. We tried to figure it out with our brain. <laughs> We try to try and understand before we have faith. We try to wrap our heads around things and then think, oh, now I've got faith. But faith is understand or faith is believing before seeing. Faith is believing before we understand. It's putting our trust and our hope in him. What we do is we feel as confident in God as what we have the answers for what we're going through. Our confidence is contingent upon whether we have the answers to what we're going through. And Moses, in Numbers 21, verse 4, he talks about how he, the Lord tells Moses to take a serpent and put it on a pole and lift it up and whoever looks at it will be healed, right? And Jesus, in John 3, verse 14, he quotes this passage in Numbers 21, and he says, and Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. So, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. See, Jesus reveals to us the nature of believing. And it's not in having all the right answers. It's in looking. The synergy, the, the, yeah, the synergy, the parallels that Jesus is drawing between Moses and what he's saying is he's saying faith and believing comes by seeing. It's not our level of faith that we have. It's our object of faith. What are we looking at? What are we looking to? Where are our eyes fixed? What is the object of our faith? Do we have faith in our employer to provide all of our needs? Or do we have faith in our Father to provide all of our needs? 
Do I have faith in my spouse to fulfill my emotional needs? Or do I have faith in Jesus, my lover, to fulfill every desire in my heart? What is the object of our faith? It's not, oh my gosh, do I have enough faith for this? It's no, can I see him? And when you're going through something, when you're walking through even sin, you know, let's say you're, let's say you're struggling with pornography and in that moment, the temptation comes and you're alone and it's not, oh my gosh, do I have enough faith to believe that I can't do this? It's like, no, I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus in this moment because when I look at him, that's all I can see. I don't see the sin when I'm gossiping. When my coworkers are gossiping about my boss in that moment, it's not, oh, do I have enough faith? Like, I'm not going to do this. It's no, I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus instead. We make, we can often make faith this repetition of truth, but even demons can recite truth. And I believe in the power of the tongue. And I believe in the power of renewing our mind and being transformed by the renewing of our mind. But it's when we're just saying words. Because Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the truth. The capital T. So I can recite truth, but is my faith, my eyes fixed on the truth. The truth of who he is. The truth of his nature. There's a difference between our refuge being in ideas and our refuge being in him. It's easier for our, our refuge and our faith to be in ideas than it is to be in God somehow. And it's easier to feel like we have confidence when we have answers to things rather than embracing the mystery. Does anyone like being surprised by the mystery here? You know, like the candy and it's like mystery flavor and you don't know what's behind it. Like that stresses me out. I'm like, I just want to know what the flavor is. Cause I want to know if I'm going to get what I wanted or my kids choose these, like everything in the store these days is like mystery and you don't know what's in this ball and then they get it and they're disappointed. <laughs> but God, you know, mystery can come in moments of unknowing. Mystery comes when we are hit with the greatest pain imaginable. Maybe we lose our job or our loved one passes away and we don't know the answers. We don't know the ending. We don't know what's coming next, but there's a place for us to embrace the mystery. And mystery can also be amazing moments where God gives us something that we've been asking for, contending for, but it's like, it's so big. It's like, okay, now it's here. And now I'm like, God, ah, I don't know what's next. Like you promised me a house and now I have this house and like I'm locked in for 30 years, God. How am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to do this? And we're freaking out like I did this. And we feel like sometimes it's, we feel like worry is responsible. We feel like it's responsible to talk about our problems in a way that doesn't increase our awareness of God. Because when we're talking about it from a place of faith, it looks crazy. It looks crazy. And we feel responsible when we worry about it because then it makes us feel like we're taking it seriously. But God doesn't call us to make worry responsible. He's asked for our trust. 
to make trust responsible. And Peter does the same thing in the passage where he's about to walk on the water. It says that Peter asked Jesus, call to me. See, he's in this moment where Jesus is in the waves and he says to Jesus, call to me. Romans 10 verse 17 says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. And the word here for the word of God is rhema. It's the idea of God's voice, God's voice speaking to him because Peter knows that if God has asked me to do this, I can do it. So he says, call to me. He asked Jesus to ask him to do it because he has faith in who Jesus is. He has faith that if God calls him to do it, he can do it. And so he calls to him. And then it says, Jesus calls out to him and Peter starts walking on water. And while he does this, Peter is looking at Jesus. And then he starts looking at the waves. See, we don't have autofocus. We have manual focus sometimes. If you're a photographer, you know what that means. But when you have autofocus on a lens, you look in it, you touch a little bit, and the lens focuses on what you want it to focus in on. But manual focus, you actually have to take time to like turn up the aperture, turn it down, and do all of these things to get it. But when we don't have autofocus and we have manual focus, we actually have to make sure the object of our faith is in front of us. We actually have to make Jesus be the one we fix our eyes on, not the waves. Because the moment that he starts looking at the waves, Peter got impressed by the size of the waves and then the size of his God shrank in his eyes. And the moment we start looking at everything else, when we start looking at the problem, when we start looking at what we're going through, we start to question, can I do this? Peter starts to question, can I actually do this? Ah, I'm on the water, but like, look at the waves that are coming. Can I actually walk on water to Jesus? He got impressed by the size of the wave. And oftentimes when we can forecast our own problems that are coming up, you know, we start to think, oh, we start to predict, well, things are going to go sour over here. So let me do this. Let me do that. I've got a solution here. Got it all figured out. Got this lined up over there. I can work this extra shift or I can do X, Y, and Z. And the problem is, is there's no confidence in the nature of God in that. And I'm all for, don't get me wrong, I'm all for having wisdom and seeking God for what he wants to do and where he's going. I'm all for that. Forecasting is not always bad. But it's it's where are our eyes fixed? Where is the position of our heart? Where is our confidence? Is our confidence in our ability to solve our problem? Or is our confidence in the nature of God and who he is? Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord your God with all your heart and not your own understanding. Verse 29, later on in the passage, it says, the Lord is your confidence. We become too comfortable predicting what's coming next. We try to solve this problem because we don't want to live in a place of, I don't understand. 
We are scared to live in the place of I don't know what's coming next. I don't understand. We can't... What we... What we end up doing is we allow ourselves to give up the idea of pragmatism over his presence. Pragmatism is the practical thinking through everything over his presence. And that pragmatism is this. It's my addiction to solving the problem practically over his presence nurturing me. We are addicted (laughs) to trying to solve our problems rather than allowing the presence of God to nurture us. The presence of God nurturing us is allowing him to disciple us. This uh, psychiatrist that I follow online, he has six kids and he's older now. He's in, um, you know, he's coming up on retirement age. But he was saying, when I talk to parents and I talk about the two things, if you can do anything in your parenting, it's be firm and kind firm and kind. And I think about that with God is that sometimes he, we have to allow him to nurture us. We have to allow him to disciple us, to discipline us in saying, Hey, do you trust me? Do you trust me? The question is, can I trust him? Is he for me? Do I allow his presence to anchor me? Do I allow him and his nature to anchor me? The question coming out of this moment is, can I trust you, Lord? I want you to just ask yourself for a moment. Do I trust you, Lord? Do I trust that you are for me? Do I have a dependency on your nature? Or do I have a dependency on trying to solve things, navigate things, forecast things, and figure it out on my own? The leper in Luke says to Jesus, if you are willing, can you make me clean? He doesn't say, Jesus, do you have the power to make me clean? The question here of the leper is, are you for me? Is your intention for me, Jesus? When we don't rely on his presence, it actually exposes in us that we don't actually believe his intentions are for us. See, fear is... The uncertainty of the nature of God to fulfill your need. And the, the, the passage of, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. We often like to think about, actually, God is going to save me from the valley. I'm not even going to have to walk through it because God is going to stop me before I get there. He's going to rescue me. But that's not what it says, does it? It says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. But I have to go through it. The promise is that he's not going to stop us from getting in the valley. The promise is that he's going to be with us in the valley. And he's going to get us through the valley. That's the promise to us. And so we have to question our own heart and say, do I have fear that you are not going to fulfill my need. And actually, Lord, can I trust you to fulfill every need in my life? Pragmatism says, God will get me out of the valley. Yes, he does, but no, he doesn't. (laughs) It's different than what we might think it looks like. Sort of a paraphrased phrase from Albert Einstein. 
you know, they, they asked him these questions about the universe and he says, I've looked at the universe and I've, I figured out all these different things about it. But the question that I've come down to is, is it friendly? And the question and the deep longing of our human heart is, is God for me? Because if he's for me, am I going to allow his presence to overshadow me so that I don't have to solve this problem right away? Are we comfortable in sitting in the mystery, sitting in the not yet, sitting in the in-between? We have to allow the presence of God to overshadow us and just sit with us in that place. My son, Valor, you know, when he wakes up in the night, I don't run into his room, burst in there in the middle of the night, turn on all the lights and go, buddy, look, there's nothing to be afraid of. You're going to get some food soon. Don't worry. Look, the lights are on. It's everything's good. Everything's a okay. No, I don't do that. I go in there and I say, it's okay. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. And I do this because presence answers what our heart needs, what, not what our mind wants. And there are so many times when our mind wants, our minds want the answers right away. We want to know the plan. Raise your hand if you're a planner like me. You want to know the plan. You want to know what's going to happen next. You want to know where we're going. You want to know what the ending's like. I literally read spoilers. I was the girl growing up who read the end of every book before I finished because I just hated the surprise of it. I just needed to know. And it's really hard to sit in the not knowing. And my mind wants it, but his presence fulfills what my heart needs over what my mind wants. Him just saying, I'm here. I want us to ask ourselves, is his presence enough for me? Is his presence enough over the answer, over the problem solving, over what's coming next? Is his presence enough for me? Is it enough for me to just sit and say, Jesus, I don't know what's happening, but I trust you. I trust that you're here with me. He's saying, I want you to be anchored in my presence and my presence is enough. You know, Moses, when he's about to go before Pharaoh, he says to God, who am I to do this? And if it were you and I, that he was asking that too, we'd be like, you're Moses. You're the prince of Egypt. (laughs) Come on. You're a son of God. You got this Moses. Don't let anyone tell you differently. But God doesn't say that. God says, paraphrase, you're the guy I'm with. He says, I am with you. The question is, is his presence enough? Jesus says as well to the woman at the well, you know, you've been trying to do all of these things. You've been looking for your answer in all of these husbands to satisfy your needs, but none of them will satisfy but I will satisfy your thirst. We try to satisfy our thirst with confidence in things over his living water. And he's calling us back to him as our source, to him as the one who answers every question. (laughs) 
before we even have to say the question. And it challenges us because we want to make worry responsible. We really do. But he's asking us to make trust responsible and faith responsible. And we try to get some kind of understanding about what's happening because we're unsure about his nature. And he's reminding us who he is. See, God, he comes and he parts the sky and he comes and he takes every faulty image that we've ever tried to make up of who God is and the character and the nature of who he is. And he deletes it all. And what does he do? He comes as flesh. He comes as Jesus. He takes on flesh. See, Jesus isn't the nicest side of God. He is the definitive revelation of God. And Colossians 1, Colossians 1.15, Paul says, he is the image of the invisible God. And what everyone heard in that moment when he says that is every thought that you've ever had about God is now accountable to Jesus. Every thought of, is he enough? Can he do it? Will he save me? Will he rescue me? Will he heal me? All of that is now accountable to Jesus. And so the kind of God that we serve is the God that took on flesh, that came here and he lived a perfect life that we could not live. He died on the cross and we were nailed with him. He buried um, all of our sin, all of our shame. He took the keys to heaven and hell. He conquered death and he rose again. And that's the kind of God we serve. And before we could even ask him to do any of it, he did it before we could even conjure up any sort of prayer or anything to say, God, can you come and save me and deliver me? He already did it. He did all of it. That's the kind of God that we serve. Amen. I know all of us have woken up in the night to use the bathroom at one point or another. When you're pregnant, it's a million times a night towards the end. And you stumble to the bathroom. If you're married, you definitely don't turn on the light. And I would urge you all not to turn on the light. It'll wake you up too much. So we stumble to the bathroom. And we get there successfully every time. We know that, oh, there's a dresser here. There's a nightstand here. And I left the pillow on the floor over here. And there's a door I got to go through and another door. And the reason why we know how to get to the bathroom successfully in the dark is because we've seen the room in the light. So what we need to, (laughs) what we need to do when the lights are off is not change who God is, but remember who he is when the lights are on. And when we're walking through that storm and we're walking through that problem, we look back to who he is and what he's done for us. And we remember who he is. We don't change him because he's never changed. You know what it says? It says he is the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. We we need to remember who God is like, which is Jesus. And resting in his presence is enough. It may not change your situation, but it will make sure your situation doesn't change you. And that's what we all want. We want the confidence in God in who we are in him and in his nature. It's when you have the uncertainty of a bill coming up and the uncertainty of your job or your marriage, your broken relationship with your children. It's do I sit and go, 
Your presence is enough. I don't understand why. I don't get it. But I know that you are with me. It's as simple and as practical as that. And sometimes we try to overcomplicate it. Now, I remember this this moment where I was sitting with God and I was just weeping, crying out, just saying, God, I don't understand. I don't understand what's going on, Lord. I don't understand why this has happened to that person, Lord. I don't get it. But I'm not going to let it change who you are. I'm still going to believe that you are good. I'm still going to trust that you are for me. I'm still going to trust that you're going to work everything out for my good. When I don't understand, I still choose you, God. I still choose you. And the temptation we have is to get out of that place and then try to climb these religious ladders that we've created of if I pray more, if I fast more, if I do this more, then maybe something will change. And God is just saying, is my presence enough? Is trusting in me enough? See, pain is so real for people, for all of us. And there are those of us in this room that I know are walking through really painful things right now. And we don't know what's going on. And we, we feel like we can't even say anything about this. But Thomas in the Bible has this moment of deep pain. You see, his close friend, Jesus, died. And he was left devastated, defeated, discouraged, as he was one of the disciples. And people like to call Thomas Doubting Thomas, or his other name, Didymus, Doubting Didymus. But see, I like to think of him more as Honest Thomas. See, because there's those of us that are going through things in this room that I know it's not that you're doubting. It's just that you're in pain. And God's not afraid of that. He's not afraid of our questions. And there's this moment where Thomas's friends, the disciples, they come to him and they say, he is risen. And Thomas is like, what? And we like to think that he has this sort of atheistic statement of doubt and he's questioning and, and he's saying, unless I see this, then I won't believe. But I think that's because we're uncomfortable with doubt and emotion a lot of times. And so we think that in this moment, it's him doubting Jesus, but that's not what Thomas is doing. He's saying, you guys saw him. You saw him. If I could just put my hands in his hands, if I could just touch his side, then I would believe too, because he wasn't there. Remember? But then Jesus does this. He walks through the wall of where they are. And he doesn't go to the disciples that have seen him before. He goes straight to Thomas. And he doesn't say, Thomas, you of little faith. He doesn't rebuke Thomas. He looks right at Thomas and says, Thomas, you said, you must encounter me. So put your hand here. Put your hand here on my side. Do you now believe You see, Thomas, you believe because you see, and blessed is he who believes without seeing. 
Now he's saying, now you can enter mystery. Now that you've tasted, you can enter mystery. You can enter not knowing because you know me. I may not know, I may not understand, but your presence is enough for me. God is, he's wanting to establish a community of people who will encamp around the presence of God, where they will say the presence of God is everything to us. The presence of God anchors us. The presence of God is better than my plans. The presence of God is better than anything I could come up on my own. You see, the disciples, they, they were walking on this road to Emmaus. And Jesus appears to them and begins walking with them. But in this moment, they don't recognize him. This is after he has been resurrected and before he is ascended to heaven. And he doesn't rec- they don't recognize him when he's walking with them. But when Jesus opened their eyes to him, this is what they said to each other. Did our hearts not burn within us? Did our hearts not burn within us? They knew it was something like Jesus, but they couldn't quite get it. And you see, God makes us aware of his presence enough for us to respond. And then he waits for us to respond. We're never at a moment without witness to his presence. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we going to let it overcome us? Are we going to live in the place of surrender to his presence? Or are we going to resist it? See, there's an invitation for us to enter in or for us to resist. And I want to be on the right side of that. I want to invite you to stand. God entrusts his presence, I, I once heard Bill Johnson use the, the phrase, jealously guard it, but God entrusts his presence to those who will jealously guard it. And today, I feel like there's an opportunity for us to enter into a new level of faith and trust and dependency on him that is not found in what words we can say. It's not found in the, the truth maybe that we can recite, but it's found actually in him. And so if you feel like you've been going through the valley or you've been going through struggle, maybe you've been, maybe you've lost your job or maybe your, your finances are struggling. Maybe your marriage is, is really struggling and you're just in need of a fresh encounter with God. I'm not even going to pray right now for that impartation of faith because I believe that you will receive the impartation of faith when you find him, when you encounter him. He will fill you with all of the faith that you need. He will fill you with all of the trust that you need. There's an invitation for us to put our trust and our confidence in him. And in his nature. So if that's you, I want to invite you forward. And I'm going to have our ministry team just go around and lay hands. Because I feel like, please don't be shy in this. Because I know this is something that each and every one of us is going through at any, t- at, at any moment. 
This is something that I've been walking through myself of where am I putting my trust in? And God wants to make our hearts right in this moment and remind us of who he is. So Jesus, we love you. We love you, Jesus. We put our faith and our trust and our hope in you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, in you we live and breathe and have our being. We ask that you would guide us, that you would govern us by your Holy Spirit so that all the cares of the world and all of the things that we are facing, Lord, that come our way, we will not forget that we are walking with you and that you are enough. You are enough for us, Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us. There are so many opportunities to grow, connect, and be encouraged. To learn more, visit ctfraleigh.com and follow us on social media. Thank you so much for being part of the family. We are so thankful for you.